This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Augie Haas. Augie's a New York-based trumpet player, composer, and educator who has toured and recorded with Harry Connick Jr. and has been a member of the Maria Schneider Vanguard Jazz and Radio City Orchestras, as well as the Gil Evans Project and Birdland Big Band. Augie is also the author of the play-along method book, Build Your Range. While Augie certainly knows how to get things cooking on stage, he is also known for his ability to get things cooking in the kitchen. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Hi, welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Guru's Hang, and I am here with Mr. Og, excuse me, Dr. <laughs> Augie Haas. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see you, man. It's been it's been a number of years. I think the last time I saw you was at ITG in Columbus. Yeah, yeah 2015. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the site of the uh, infamous uh, trumpet videos with you and, and, uh, oh, yeah. and Jaeger <laughs> and Qualic. Yeah. So. <laughs> we just went in those back rooms and just started messing around. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's good to see you, man. How how are you making out during all of this uh, wonderful craziness that's going on? Uh, it's cool, you know. Um, here in New York, obviously, we got hit really hard in the beginning. Um, seemed to be flattening out, so that's cool. But, uh, you know, just doing what I can to be creative. And, you know, I took some time off the horn, which felt really good. And then slowly getting back into it, which is really nice, too, because you know, with the time off, you don't have to like, raw, like rush or feel pressured. Like you have to, you know, get ready back in shape to perform. So you can really, you know, take your time again, which that part of it is nice. Obviously we miss the gigs. We miss playing with our friends. We miss seeing people, but you know, you know, try to make the positives out of the negatives. So yeah. uh, I've enjoyed just like practicing what I want to practice, taking time, hanging with my, uh, hanging with my wife. Uh, we have no choice cause we only have four walls in our tiny New York apartment, but, uh, yeah. you know, everything's been, you know, everything's been cool. Yeah. That's, that's cool, man. Um, I know that, uh, I've heard kind of, you know, from, from, uh, different people, both sides of the thing. You know, a lot of people are just super frustrated because they're not able to get out and gig, but a lot of people seem to be really, um, enjoying the fact that they're able to, in some ways take a fresh approach to the horn because when you don't have the demands of whatever work you're, you're typically doing that you can start to explore things a little bit differently. I mean, has that been the case for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely took like a solid 10 to 10 to 14 days off where I just didn't even think about it. And I was just trying to be creative in other ways or just hanging, uh, you know, and actually like letting your body rest, uh, yeah. which you know, I know I've seen so many people post like, I'm going to lose 100 pounds and I'm going to do this. I'm like, I'm going to sit on the couch for two weeks and I'm going to be okay with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because now I feel charged and, you know, ready to do more things. And yeah, definitely taking a new approach to horn, the horn and, you know, just kind of futzing around with some different things. Maybe I've always wanted to try what like this rim might feel like, you know, on the geeky side and, yeah. Oh, I wonder what th like this would happen if I warmed up like this every day, you know, cause like you said, you don't have those demands or those pressures of, you know, I gotta, I gotta sound good tonight or, 
all that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, uh, especially for trumpet players, you hear a lot of people talk about or making this uh, analogy of, you know, playing trumpet is, is kind of like a, a sport. You know, you have to be an athlete, especially like being a lead player. Yeah. Um, but the, the big difference between sports and being a professional is that in sports, uh, you have a season. And that's it, you know, whether it's, you know, three months or six months or whatever. And then after that, you have downtime. But when you're when you're a working musician, uh, those rest periods are few and far between. So there's no there's no ability to doing what they call periodization. You know, you can't, you know, up your, your levels and, and, and slack off a little bit. Uh, you have no off season. So, um, you know, do you feel like uh, this time off is not only giving you the physical break, but the mental break that, that you need to, to come back fresh? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and you just you can let your brain go other places, which, you know, all musicians are creative. And if you look at, you know, you know, musicians and their interests outside of music, I think you see a lot of similarities. I know a ton of musicians that like to cook. I love to cook. And, you know, you can let your brain relax and kind of open up other creative outlets, which actually in turn will help you when you get back to playing trumpet, like, oh, wow, I can do this now, or I can approach it this way. But, you know, it's just, it really is refreshing to give your brain a, a rest and just not think about it for a second. Yeah. I totally am with you on the, on the sports analogy too. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're a, you're a cheese head. <laughs> proudly, proudly, proudly a cheese head. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. Uh, and, and the cooking, I, you know, I, I remember seeing all those wonderful posts of stuff that you were cooking up and I was like, I need to go up and see Augie. Just so hey, man, get a, you're, get a good you're welcome meal. anytime. <laughs> I would say anyone's always welcome. We'll set a place for you at the table. Well, I, I think maybe that that's an idea for a, a show for you you know it's like uh you know trumpets and tupperware or something like that you know so you <laughs> you're like you show somebody how to play a double c and and how to cook a souffle so exactly that, that sounds great uh i know that you've got some uh you've got a really kind of interesting arc in your career and uh i i got first turned on to you um when your dissertation started uh floating around uh and uh, the uh, the art of playing trumpet in the upper register, um, and uh, you know, so you kind of hit the scene as as uh, this you know f tremendous lead player, which you certainly are. Um, yeah, you know, the guy with the the knowledge, the nuts and bolts of of how to uh, approach the horn in the upper register. But you know, your your current work uh, in terms of like your uh, your two CDs that you've done have, have been mostly about your, your jazz playing and your singing, yeah. which, uh, you know, it's like, wow. First time uh, when I heard your, uh, your first, uh, not, not the dream a little dream, uh, the one right before that, which have is, we yeah, have a minute. Uh, and I'm, I put it on and I'm like going, okay, here, here it comes. You know, I'm waiting for the, uh, you know, double C blast to be in the face. And it's like, whoa, this is different. <laughs> and, and it was, it was really chill. I was on a drive with my wife. We're, we're uh, heading up to, to Canada and we put it on and, and she loves like, you know, Dean Martin and Sinatra and stuff like that. And, and uh, she's like, Oh, who's this? I'm like, Oh, was, yeah, my friend Augie. And uh, she's like, wow, he's really good. And I didn't know, you know, you knew any singers. I'm like, no, he's a trumpet player. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's yeah. really great. I mean, what, what were you like, 
When you first started uh, in your professional career, were you hoping to approach it more as a, as a soloist, like a, a jazz player, or were you mostly a lead player? And then, you know, how, how did that all work out for you? Yeah, I mean, I was always really known as a lead player, you know, and uh, and then when I got to Miami, I started studying uh, trumpet with Alex Norris. And, it, you know, the thing about like lead playing or I feel like once you have a basic understanding of how the trumpet works, it's not like something you work on at a certain point, especially when you're in college, you know, you're rehearsing in a big band, like four or five days a week for two hours a day. It's not like that's something like you need to go, go home and do then. Right. And you, and you're thinking about balance and things like that. And I, you know, and I just, that's part of my playing seriously lacked, but it was always something that I wanted to do. You know, so when I got to Miami, you know, the lead, the lead plane, that's, you know, those were the gigs I was doing and that's what I was doing at school. So when I'd practice, I would just, you know, practice playing jazz and softly, you know, because if you're playing loud all day in a big band, you want to balance that with something else, you know, whether it's soft etudes or, and for me, it was just learning tunes and playing softly. And, you know, and I think the best way to train your ears is by singing. You know, because if you can't sing, in my opinion, you can't play it, you know, and especially as a lead player, too, like you have to be able to hear those notes, because once you push a certain button, it doesn't really matter anymore. Right. right? So I would I was working on both. And uh, one day someone said to me, like, eh, I really like your singing. You should should sing more. So, uh, you know, I got a trio together in New York and I started singing. And then someone was like, man, you should really do a, a record. And, you know, I guess the arc was I was just kind of just floating and. You know, I always did the lead thing because that's what seems to be high in demand. But, you know, in my spare time, I was just having fun, not, you know, bashing my face and just playing tunes and singing a little bit and playing a little bit here. And it seemed to hurt a lot less. I just kind of <laughs> <laughs> took to it. Yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, uh, it, it's it's definitely got a, a, a nice vibe. It swings, you know, and uh, I was just... Now, I, I hate to say that I'm surprised at it because, you know, that makes it go like, wow, they really no, didn't no, think no. much of me anyway. But a lot, of, no. a lot of people ask me, who, who's singing on that album? I was like, all right. I said, it's me. They're like, come on, who's really singing? So, you know, most, <laughs> people, most people had that reaction, which I'm totally yeah. good with. Yeah. So it's all good. I, you were um, you were in New York. You were you were playing with uh, with Harry Connick for uh, for a bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That had to be one hell of a book to play. Yeah, it was, especially because there was at one point, I, you know, we did a tour and I was the only trumpet player on the road. It was it was just four horns, trumpet, uh. trombone and two saxes, um, you know, and, and he still wanted all that crazy stuff that Roger kind of had done and uh but also you had to cover all the section parts and then also you know you had to play some solos at some point so yeah i would say that was you know some of the more challenging work and eventually added another trumpet player which took a little pressure off but uh but yeah without that section and that big band it's it was uh it was definitely challenging you know playing playing in the upper register without that kind of support you're used to yeah yeah i mean that that band i mean like uh, in the earlier days you know like you know roger uh dan miller uh you know leroy i they, that was that was a kick in section you know and to, and to try and take that and condense it down into one player 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a very talented guy, so he did it. But, uh, you know, it didn't take any less pressure off any any of the guys in the sections, you know. Because yeah. if one if, if it's only four, you know, you're so much more exposed, whether you're playing saxophone, trombone, you know, trumpet, you know, everything, you know, you have a mic, uh, microscope on you. Yeah. Yeah. Did you start doing your, your trio gigs while you were still with Harry or was that something? I you did. Started? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah that would be a nice little, you know, juxtaposition. You know? Yeah. You'd be on the road for a couple of months and then you'd, you'd get back and you'd want to do something else for a little while, you know? And like I said before, it's just all about balance. You know, I remember being on the road, the only things I would play during the day to warm up were like Clark really softly, you know, Clark one, Clark six, you know, just softly, softly, softly. Cause you'd be playing loud all night, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that, I, I can't imagine the, the pressure that you had to feel, uh, feeling it. Cause I, I, you know, I know Roger pretty well and, you know, I'd followed the band for years and I just know that some of the, some of the stuff that Harry had in that book for, for the lead trumpet player is just like just stupid. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, I had the, the pleasure of studying with Roger my last year at Roosevelt university and Roger and I are buds. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, you, it was cool. I, I didn't try and copy exactly what he did, which I think takes a little bit of the pressure off, you know, it's, uh, you, you throw him in there here and there, but like, you know, my trumpet teacher, Rob Parton told me, you know, heroes die young. So don't, <laughs> don't try and do everything you did because you had people to spell him here or, you know, yeah. Maybe Dan Miller takes eight bars there, but you know, when you don't have that luxury, you know, you gotta, yeah. you know, you pay tribute, but don't try and kill yourself. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, but your, your job probably would have been a little bit easier. And this is just me giving you some, some critique. Your job would have been a lot easier if you had uh, been playing that Haas to scream. Uh, that that's exactly what you needed for that gig. So I know I just, I, I came up with the idea a little too late. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's still one of my favorite videos of all time. So. I appreciate it, yeah. I didn't think that would get as much traction as it did, but I remember being at Landers' shop once. <clears throat> he had a practice room in the back, and sometimes if I was running around, I wanted to get a quick half hour or so, and I'd run over there before my show or whatever. And uh, he came back and goes, you're never going to believe this these kids are here asking about the horn. Cause I kept it at his shop. Okay. And, and he goes, come on, we should, we should really, you know, we should really milk this. I said, Oh, okay. So I go out and, you know, and I said, okay, let's, let's see how they go. Is it for real? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. So the kid tries and play it. You could like, you know, maybe he played like a high C or high D He's like, I don't, I don't know. I thought you said, I said, you're the first person that this hasn't worked for, <laughs> you know, and it, it was, you know, eventually let him in on the secret, but uh, he said people would come in and ask a call about the horn. Is the horn for sale? Is this for, I mean, it was, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. If, if you don't know what we're talking about, you can go to Augie's uh, website and, uh, and just uh, go on the media page and there's a link there or just go on YouTube and search uh, the Haas to scream and uh you, you will certainly scream with laughter when you see that one <laughs> so, what i mean what gave you the idea for that that's just so out there so when i was playing with uh maria schneider's band uh i had the absolute pleasure of standing next to laurie frank a lot of the time 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously she was not only like an amazing trumpet player, but obviously was known for her pedagogy and teaching, you know, and has taught everybody. So I was trying to be a sponge to her and, you know, she had a great sense of humor. And uh, we would always joke that, you know, the third vowel was just such a waste, you know, yeah. and that you, you didn't really need it. It was just for show. And I, and I said to her uh, one time, I said, we should do this video. I said, I have a horn that someone gave me. Like, you know, it was from an old school. It was totally beat up, not even worth saving. I said, you know, let's just chop the third valve off and uh, do this video. And unfortunately, she got sick and we never got to it. But I was determined to get that done for her. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Yeah, but she, I got the idea from her. She always joked like, yeah, third valve. Just what is that? Just a waste. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's funny though. Um, so I want to go back to your uh, your dissertation. Um, so what was it, for those again for those of you who don't know about this, just go to Aukie's site. He'll you know his his website's got all this stuff on there. But uh, and you can actually download a copy of it, and that's what like a hundred and thirty some pages uh, of uh, you know of material, and uh, and you kind of delve into the the various concepts that uh, people use, that kind of the basic ones for uh, developing the upper register and their playing. And uh, I, I found it to be a fascinating read, but of course I'm, I'm kind of a geek that way anyway. But I think uh, we all are. It, yeah, I mean. People but, say they're not. Ultram plays, I don't know, that's not me. I'm not, we are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, it's, it's the approach that you took of, uh, you know, trying to uh, to get to the underlying components and uh, identifying the the similarities that that exist, uh, but also some of the the derivations from that and and what works, why it works, when it works, who it works for. Um, so, you know, can you kind of take us through the steps that that led you to that uh, doing that dissertation and, and what you personally got out of it? Sure. Um... So it wasn't my original topic, which is, which is really funny. Um, my original topic, I wanted to write a, uh, a critical analysis of a jazz performance degree in its current state. Cause I went straight through school and I'll be honest, like by the time I got to my doctorate, I was like getting a little burnt out on school and just like, you know, I was, had some cool gigs and I thought I was cool, even though, you know, I wasn't, but, uh, so I, I was looking at school and all the school I did and how I thought like at an undergraduate performance degree, how the curriculum at the time was still based on the 1950s curriculum like that came out of North, North Texas. And I said, Oh man, we should really, we should really make some improvements upon this. And, um, you know, I kind of put the, the two questions is if for a performance degree, should you number one, have to take academic classes and things like that? Or number two, would it behoove you to not go to school at all? Just pick the city you want to live in and, and study with whoever teaches wherever you want to teach. Because, you know, to go to University of Miami, if you don't get any funding or scholarships, it's like $60,000 a year. Hey. So I was thinking, you know, from a financial standpoint too, like big band gigs and some of them only pay like $10 in New York. Yeah, so it's like, right. that's a lot of $10 big band gigs to pay back you know, if you're taking on student loans, are we really best serving the students? Mm -hmm. Well, that idea got rejected pretty fast, you know, in my original defense, which is fine. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write about something I kind of 
love and it's not going to like, you know, I'm not going to have to kill myself and I can talk to people I want to talk to. So I was like, I'm just going to write about what everyone wants to do with the trumpet and play in the upper register. Um, you know, my idea was that it was just going to be like this simple little paper, but you know, being trumpet players, we get geeked out. And I was like, Oh man, this is a lot of work. As you said, like a hundred some pages later, you know, I thought it was just going to be this easy, write. But one thing I thought was really fascinating and the approach I liked that I did with it was I approached not only lead players, but I also approached classical players, uh, which I feel like gets overlooked quite a bit from the, from a uh, upper register standpoint, you know, mm -hmm. those guys playing the natural trumpets and yeah. all that Baroque stuff. I mean, that is incredibly difficult music. Mm -hmm. um, and I love diving in and really exploring that part of you know, that part of the upper register playing and seeing these guys do that. Um, I remember there was a guy who I interviewed. Um, I'm going to mispronounce his name. He lives in Europe. And I showed my friend a video of him playing natural trumpet. I think it was the Brandenburg. Uh -huh. and, he's, and he was like, that's, that's a playback. There's no way he's playing that live. I was like, dude, I've looked at like hundreds of videos of this guy. He's a hundred percent playing it live. Friedrich, Fred, Friedrich Emer, I think is his name. Uh -huh. um, and uh, I love that. And I love just the, um, I just love what, you know, the guys who are all our heroes had to say, the Bobby Shue, Roger Ingram, Greg Gisbert, John Faddis. Um, and the question that I found most interesting was is, upper register playing a learned ability or a natural ability and it was the only question on the questionnaire that i sent these guys that everyone said it's 100 percent a learned ability you know which i think gives a lot of people i don't i don't know if hope is the right word but like you know they're like oh yeah. i i can do this because i do think that the mental is is a much more prevalent uh factor when it comes to upper register playing than the physical you know, once you figure the physical out, it's, it's all mental. And it's just, you know, it's just a matter of time of sitting down. You know, a lot of jazz players ask me sometimes, well, what do I have to do? I said, well, how long have you practiced playing jazz? I, you know, at my whole life. I said, we'll take that whole life and put it towards playing the upper register. I said, you're a fantastic jazz player. There's no way that you wouldn't figure it out eventually. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, all those things apply, right. apply. And I thought that was pretty fascinating, you know, and yeah. uh, I think those are my favorite parts about writing it. Um, but just exploring trumpet and then that kind of, yeah, that kind of blew up, uh, you know, by accident. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's really got, there are a couple of fascinating points that you brought up and I, I want to kind of dive into those a little bit deeper. Uh, the first one is you know, the idea that, um, you know, there's a level of, of mastery, uh, and, you know, like it, it takes time uh, to develop it. And, you know, there, there are so many great players that are, that are admittedly were not natural lead players. You know, Bobby is one of those people. He's like, you know, he, he got thrown into the lead book, you know. Uh, Greg Gisbert, another, you know, phenomenal lead player, but, you know, was, was definitely not a lead player. Then you have other guys like, 
you know, Wayne and 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 Thaddeus and people like that, that it was it was a natural thing. But at some point, there always seems to be uh, for the the learned. Obviously, it's like they couldn't do it, but then they had to learn to do it. And for the naturals, it's like, you know, yeah, I picked up the horn. And after a couple of years, I could play a double high C. But then they had to actually learn how to control it. And then they had to learn to diagnose things. I know Wayne is one of those people who, you know, eventually ran into some chop problems. And it's like, well, I never had to learn how to do it. So Thaddeus had chop problems too. And uh, I think everyone kind of goes through a, a chop problem and you're going to have to relearn how to do it eventually, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I mean, Bobby, same thing. Bobby said, I didn't really learn how to play trumpet until I hurt myself, you know, yeah. cause you don't, you don't ever think about it, yeah. which I, which I find pretty fascinating too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, if anybody out there is, is interested in, uh, learning more about the, you know, how to play in the upper register. Um, the two things you could do is the first is download Augie's uh, dissertation and then uh, buy his book, Build Your Range, which is uh, one of my, my favorite books. I actually use that. I have to admit this. this is, uh, yeah, if, you're, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, please don't do this at home. Um, because I don't always get a, a chance to, to practice at home. So I keep a mouthpiece uh, in my car with a, a, you know, a little buzzing device. And I have uh, like the first three tracks from your book. Uh, well, they were on my CD player, then they became on my phone. And now that uh, you can stream this stuff on, on Spotify, that's even better. But uh, I would just play those every day. I mean, that would just be my practice session. And it's just, it was just really cool. Um, and I love the approach of having exercises that were so foundational, so just basic and, and concrete, but having to play them with tracks makes it musical as opposed to, you know, just playing Clark. So, um, and what kind of, it was, was the book a, outgrowth of the dissertation like are you distilling that information or was it just something completely different or uh it was definitely i saw the uh positive response to the dissertation and what i thought was like man wouldn't it be great if i just like came with like a specific like exercises just to practice uh and i feel like a lot of times when people are working on their range you know the biggest thing they do is just pound 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 so the play and i was like but it needs a play along because you know, if you don't play with the play along, that's fine. But the best thing to me about the play along, it has those built in rests where you're not going to just, you know, pound yourself into the ground and then not be able to play for two days or, or, you know, um, and, and I'm, I'm kind of lazy in the fact that I want to kill as many birds with one stone. So like with the play along as well, you're working on your intonation, you're working on your time. You really can't skate over anything when you're practicing yeah. it that way, which I feel like when the dissertation, like there are exercises in there, which I included most, so, most of them in, in the book, probably uh, so long ago, it's hard to remember, but uh, you know, it's just, you, you want to be able to offer that, that to people, but also offer them the highest success you can, you know, cause if it's not good for them, it's not good for anybody, you know? Yeah. And no one's going to, there's, you're going to see no success with it. Yeah. Well, I just, uh, like I like I said, I loved working out of your book. Um, I, I was using for, I still use it, uh, kind of alternate between yours and, and Walter White's uh, long-term uh, accompaniment tracks because it's just, it makes sense to me if you're going to be practicing to practice with 
music. You know, like you said, you know, intonation and timing and because hey, that's what we're doing this for. We're doing this to make music. Um, and I was thinking, man, I would just love it if somebody sat down and wrote accompanying tracks for Clark or for Arben so that you're all of the, the etudes and the technical studies, you're, you're doing it with, you know, a section. Yeah, I've definitely thought about it. Uh, it's just, uh, I'm not sure the technology is there yet. Uh, I probably shouldn't steal, say this, but if you can do it, uh, anybody's welcome to steal this idea. But, you know, I love the Clark characteristic, uh, the Arben's characteristic studies, and I would love to make a play along with them. The only problem is, is I want to make a play along where you can adjust the tempo. And I don't know what, I know that like the iReal B app, you know, that's a great mm -hmm. app, you know, if you want to work on some changes and you can adjust tempos and keys, mm -hmm. I just don't have access to that technology. So, yeah. you know, it, I don't think it would behoove anybody just to be able to play it at one tempo. Yeah. 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 You would, you need to be able to, to, to scale it back. And I know the technology is out there. I think that, that Gordon Goodwin had some play alongs that uh, did, they came with an, with an app that allowed you to, to play with a tempo. Uh, so I'm, it's sure it's, I'm sure it's pretty easy. It's just, uh, you know, only so many projects you can do, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, you might have to, you know, have to get partnered up with someone on that one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great idea. Um, but I want to go back to your uh, what you were saying about your original idea for your dissertation with, uh, you know, the State of Jazz Studies. I mean, so if, if you could write that paper now, uh, what, what would your take on that be? It's... Uh... It's tough. You know, I go back and forth because obviously a lot of the connections I have are through the schooling I've done. And I do think that's a very positive part of school. And there is a competitive nature to school where you see people practicing and you want to practice too, you know, and I think that's healthy and I think that's great. Um, the, the, the part is just like school is just, and beyond music, school is, in my opinion, just too expensive right now. Right. And no matter what you do, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're going into education, whether you're going in, you know, to be a doctor, I mean, it just, the, the inflation rate in school has just been like skyrocketing. My wife's in education. I tell her, I ask her all the time, you know, is this bubble going to burst like the housing market did or this did, and, you know, um, I, I think it will eventually, you know, and now with COVID and everything going online and everything like that, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah. It's, you know, because you can't, you can't teach music online like you can, you know, you can't do an online big band or you can't do an online small group or you can't do, you know, even online one-on-one -on -one trumpet lessons isn't the same, you know. Uh, so I, I just think that, and I do think that schools are starting to make curriculum changes, you know. Uh, I know Miami is for sure. Um, and I know that North, I was down in visiting North Texas and I know that they've made some curriculum changes. And I think it's going in the right direction. I just think the biggest problem right now is the price of school. Yeah. You know, it's just in North Texas relatively cheap because it's a public school, but like, you know, the private schools, like the Juilliards, the Manhattan school of musics, the, um, I'm not sure if Indiana is public or private. I think it's public, but you know, these schools are so expensive and you know, uh, it's tough to make it as a musician, you know, and 
you know, if let's say you want to move to New York, you know, you're going to have expensive rent and then to have a big student loan payment on top of that, you know, it's, it's hard to set yourself up for success, you know, without having another gig. And then if you have another gig, you know, it takes away from the practice and Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's tough, you know, and if, if let's say, you know, if you're getting a performance degree and you didn't have anything other than performance classes, whether you're going to be from nine to 10 AM, you're going to be transcribing theory kind of class from, you know, 10 to 11, you're going to be shedding piano. And from, you know, and you did that kind of just all performance where you're not learning about, you know, and sorry if you're a big Renaissance or medieval music history buff, if we were not learning any of that, because I personally hated that part of music school. Um, I just, not that it's not important, but it's just, I didn't find a personal interest in that. So I wasn't motivated to do that. Um, you know, what kind of players would you be turning out? And, you know, would, would those be the 1% that are really, you know, making it solely as performers? You know, it's, it's an interesting theory. I always say if I were going to redo my career, you know, if I wanted to be just a soloist, I'd get four or five of my friends and get in a van and just drive around the country and play gigs and see what kind of traction you can get. And I tell young people to do that all the time because you're 22. If it doesn't work out, well, you got plenty of time to go do something else and figure it out. But like, you're never going to have that time to be a screw up and then have, you know, it's not like you want to do that at 40. Yeah. Or, you know, it's, uh, it's, I would love to just like have an experiment where you have the one, the one kid do like the straight arrow music school route and the other one do like the very experimental one and see where, where it ends up. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a kind of interesting concept because, uh, I mean, we think about jazz and, you know, you're saying that they're, you know, you, you can go out and you can do a lot of club dates and, you know, big band dates and maybe you get 10 bucks. You know, of course, if you have a bar tab, it's probably, you know, you're, you're going <laughs> to, we don't even get into that. But <laughs> uh, when, I think it's even worse for classical players, you know, because if you think about, you know, uh, you know how, how many professional orchestras are there in the United States right now? And how many trumpet chairs? I mean, and God bless you if you're if you're a tuba player. You know, there's there's one tuba in the orchestra, and you know, how, so how many students are are trying to do a performance degree in tuba, and how many jobs are there? And when somebody gets a job, they're going to stay there until they're dead, and you know, so it's it's like you're you're setting yourself up if you if you're trying to do it for for a, to make a living, you're setting yourself up for disaster. I mean, it's just, there's no two ways about it. Uh, the system doesn't work that way. But I, you know, I, I think that the concept that, uh, you know, it's almost like the apprenticeship model, you know, where you're, you're out there and, and you're, you're hustling and you're, you're learning and you're and you know, if it was done in a way where it wasn't like just throw you out to the wolves, but, you know, where you were just doing more, real work, but having some level of mentorship, uh, a formal mentorship uh, that you know, the university could provide. And, you know, so maybe, but, but our education system, I could go on a whole rant on how the education system in general is just, uh, it's an archaic model and things have changed. And, you know, 
it's societally things have changed, but we try to hold on to the same stigmas and things like that and same paradigm. So you, you need to, to, to change with the time. So, yeah, I mean, I think like it, it shouldn't be a music performance degree. It should be called entrepreneurship degree because that's really what we are. Yeah. Entrepreneurs and finding creative ways to make it, you know, make the ends meet and make things work and stand out here and, you know, draw attention to yourself in positive ways. Yeah, I, I always thought that, uh, you know, musicians or, you know, athletes, we go back to that discussion, you know, that, you know, the, the, the kids that are in school on a scholarship for football or basketball, instead of making them take, you know, natural sciences or you know, things like that, they should be taught basic business stuff, you know, you know, finances, investing, uh, some, some basic uh, marketing skills, some you know, understanding law in terms of like copyright law and, and you know, things like that. You know, those are the things that, that are going to help you more than, than your specific skill that you need to learn. Those are the things that are going to be more beneficial to you than, you know, taking you know, some anthropology course or something like that. Yeah, I hear you. It's, uh, you know, it's a great debate, you know, of, of what's important and what, you know, it ultimately comes down to the person, what do they, what do they value? But I just think that at the end of the day, school is just too expensive for what you're walking away with. Yeah. 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 Like you said, man, you know, just to spend 60,000 a year for, for a career. A music that, performance degree. Oof, yeah. That's tough to swallow. And I got yeah. three of them. I got three music performance degrees, you know, <laughs> uh, that's how stupid I am. But, uh, <laughs> You know, but we have fun along the way, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. So um, let's get away from the trumpet for a second. Let's talk about your cooking. All right. How did you get started uh, cooking? I mean, what, what, what got your juices going on that? Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know, my, I grew up in a big family. Uh, I'm the youngest of five kids. And... Um, my dad's side of the family is German and my mom's side of the family is Sicilian. And uh, my uh, dad's side of the family were all butchers. My great grandfather had a butcher shop and my grandfather ran it. And then my father worked in it, eventually uh, decided he didn't want to run that business. Um, So, I mean, that was always in that side of the family. And my grandma, her father had a, uh, had a fruit vending cart in Milwaukee. Uh, And then all, you know, Italians obviously you know is like sitting at dinner is a very important thing especially Sunday night dinner um so I always grew up you know uh pretty much every night of the week we'd sit down and eat dinner together and it'd be something delicious every night you know and uh when I was in high school I just started asking my grandma and my dad you know how do you make that what do you what are you putting in there and like why is this important and um you know, and I just took a real interest in it just because I guess because I just love food so much, you know, uh, as you can tell by the size I am. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, and then when I got to New York, you know, I love New York and I think it has amazing restaurants. But I also yeah. think because there are so many people, there are also some not amazing restaurants. And 
you know, my wife and I would order, order in a few times. I'd be like, God, I just paid $30 for this. Like, let me just go down to the bodega and spend $10 and like fresh ingredients and make it way better. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of came out of that. And then, you know, I'm an idiot where I can't really do anything like just for fun. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, Oh man, I have to go to culinary school now, but obviously I'm not going to like, you know, stop what I'm doing and go to culinary school. So I just started researching and reading every cook, you know, instead of reading a novel, I just like cookbook after cookbook after cookbook and video after video. And like, you know, just kind of like, just really got into it. And to me, it was a nice break from music where, you know, musicians are creative people and they're always going to want to be creative and do creative things. Um, but it can't always be music because that's a terrible yeah. balance. And that was just kind of my way to be creative and, you know, use that, those parts of my brain, but, but just through another avenue, another vehicle of food. And I just, you know, I've just really loved it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how it all, all came to be. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I feel you on that because, uh, you know, I've, I've gone through a few shifts in my life in terms of what I, how I express myself, I mean, my careers and, you know, getting older, you're able to look back and see the patterns. And, uh, you know, I'm able to look back and go, oh, well, even though what the, what I did when I was in my twenties and what I'm doing now as I'm pushing 60, um, they may look different on the outside, but on the inside, it's all following the same basic thing. It's my, my desire to be creative, my, my inquisitive nature. And uh, so it becomes less important to me how I express those facets of myself than it is that I am expressing those facets of myself. Yeah. You know, my, I, will, I will say that my wife really pointed out to me one day, she goes, hey, you are like the least well-rounded person I know. She's like, do you know this pop song? I'm like, I really don't. And, uh, you know, because we I went to nine years of jazz performance school. Like, mm-hmm. And I should have been better. But, you know, you're studying for those tests and you're listening to jazz and you're trying to soak all that up while you're in there. And that's what your teachers are giving you. Right. And then I just realized, and she goes, and you know when you hang out with your musician friends, all you do is talk about music and jazz. And I was like, God, you're right. So at that, at that point, I just said, I got to take a step back and like really assess like what am I doing? Because too, there is so much, there is such a thing as too much of one thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And it really, I think it helped me in my career. It helped me in my plane. It helped me in all aspects of my life to really just kind of open my eyes and say, I'm not in school anymore and I really better make some changes or else I probably won't, I probably won't last very long. I'll I'll either get totally burnt out and not want to do this anymore or you know, or just, or just something else will happen. Um, so it, it definitely helped kind of just even keel me out too. You know, I like to be busy and I like to do creative things. And I, and I learned that if it's not music all the time, that that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you had to think about it, I mean, other than the fact that, you know, you, you have a level of creativity in the kitchen, um, what lessons have you learned from cooking that have, uh, positively impacted your your playing of the trumpet sure um i will say the most important lesson i've learned in cooking is don't fry bacon without a shirt on uh that 
or, or pants. You make it, uh, I'll, 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 yeah. No, let's just say no nude bacon. Nude bacon is bad. No, um, you know, when I, when I was first really getting into cooking, I felt like you had to follow the recipe to like to every tea, you know, and like, kind of like how you do in, in trumpet. Like you take those exercises and you have to play this Metro mark and this, and I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, the more I did it, if I didn't have something, maybe I threw something else in there and just see where it landed. And it just, I think it kind of just freed my mind, you know, where, when I got into, especially improvising situations or just, you know, if, if something wasn't going the way I thought it should on a gig, you know, then I'm just going to grab another ingredient and, and make that work because I think it just chilled me out a little bit because, you know, you can get, musicians can get really in their own head and stuck in their own world and think like, this is the way it needs to be every time. Right. And uh, I think it just helped me realize like, Hey man, if you don't put a half a teaspoon of cumin in there, it's still probably going to taste pretty good, you know, and, and try this other spice instead. And, and it just mellowed me out and just let me think like, yeah, it's, it's going to be all good. Yeah. My, sis, my sisters make fun of me all the time um, because they're like, you're just the all good man. We'll say something to you <laughs> and you just say, it's all good. Um, you know, cause I found that even if you burn it, it might taste pretty good. And uh, it's never as bad as you think it is. It's caramelized. It's not yeah. burnt. It's caramelized. Yeah, exactly. Uh, nothing's ever as bad as you think it is, you know. And yeah. if you oversalted it or if you played a wrong note, there's always tomorrow and, you know, and try again. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So is there a... a can you can you look at it from the other way? I mean, were there things about uh, your approach uh, to trumpet that influenced the way you you cooked? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, like music and musicians, one thing that is so great uh, is that you know you're learning this discipline, and you realize what it takes to be good at something, or just the discipline to say, "I'm going to sit and do this," you know, and it really on that end, it gave me the kind of the patience to be like, if I didn't do this dish perfectly the first time, that's okay. You know, cause I know that there's, there's a systematic way of doing things and it will get better. You know, if you work on an exercise for a week, you know, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say you will get better, but you know, 90% chance that you're probably going to get better at that exercise, yeah. even if it's by a little. And I think it just let me think like, yeah, like you don't have to be a Michelin star cook right away. And not that I'm a Michelin star cook <laughs> at all, but you know, you want to have those expectations for yourself. Right. And, and music kind of teaches you that discipline of, of how are you going to get there? Mm-hmm. You know, which I felt like helped me in the kitchen a lot. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So Folks out there listening, you know, here you go. There's, there's your lesson. <laughs> Dr. Haas is spoken. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, do you find that, that uh, a lot of your, uh, your bandmates uh, invite themselves over to your place for, <laughs> for events? Absolutely. I always, you know, uh, I always sat in an empty when we, when we, when I was growing up, we always had a place setting for someone who might just pop in, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, 
And I always tell people, I love the, uh, what I like to call the Seinfeld pop by, you know, if, you know, I'm, I'm generally going to be home or shoot me a text. And if I'm home, come on up and, and, uh, and let's hang. I'm all yeah. about it. So what's, what's your favorite meal to cook? I really love making uh, homemade pasta. I think there's something therapeutic, therapeutic about, you know, the well and the eggs and then rolling the dough out and like, you know, and then rolling that out to get, there's something really I love about it. And, you know, you look at the ingredients of pasta sometimes it's like 8,000 ingredients and then you make it at home and it's like flour and eggs, you know, and there's yeah. something very, there's something very satisfying about that. Yeah. Yeah, one of my uh, very good friends is uh, an expert bed bread baker, and so yeah, he he has he has made uh, a a very long study of uh, making bread, and you know many travels to you know all over the United States and to Europe, and and everywhere he goes, he tries to find something about the local breads, and um, yeah. yeah. There's a and lot of I, history. There's a lot of history in bread. And man, I love being the guinea pig for those. I mean, I, I'll taste that all day long. I, I, I was on a low carb diet for a long time. I was going keto, and I, now I'm I'm off of it. And I just like give me give me the give, give the bread. Me all, give me all the carbs. <laughs> yeah, carb <laughs> load for sure. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, there's there's kind of a food is so interesting because. Uh, for most cultures, uh, food just plays such an integral role in in the the, the social dynamic, and I think especially with uh, you know like you know the the Italian culture, you see that you know it's the you know the big meals. Uh, you know my mother's uh, my mother's Mexican, and you know the Spanish culture, it's a big thing. Um, and uh, my wife is from Romania, and so I'm learning all about their social customs in terms of, of food because it's like we can't go anywhere with her Romanian friends and not have, like, way more food that you can eat and way more booze than you can drink, which, you know, when I'm around, you know. I'll take the, boo I'll take the booze challenge any day. Yeah, well, I <laughs> – so, uh, but it's so interesting because you know, with with food, there's that social context of it, and then uh, the way smells affect our memories. So, um, you know, uh, I I just I I have this love for bread because I just remember around the holidays, my mom making homemade rolls and that smell of yeast, you know, as she's making it, and and if I smell that, I just immediately am transport. Yeah. I, back there and it's always a good feeling it's it's never like you go oh god that smells like bread it's just <laughs> I, I have that with with Kahlua I had a really bad experience with Kahlua when I was 21 well yeah and I can so. also go the opposite <laughs> yeah, so, like, oh. but, <laughs> so I mean like I, I can see how how cooking does uh, provide a level of, of uh, benefit for you I do do you find like when you're in the in the kitchen when you're when you're doing your thing that you kind of get zenned out and just like yeah, lose track of time and absolutely. That. Yeah, you know, just pour a glass of wine or maybe a glass of whiskey and just you know, it's 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 the balance. You know, it's all the things that New York isn't, or it's all the th the kitchen isn't what all of what New York is. So New York is like I have to get here as quickly as possible and I have to do this as quickly as possible. And there are a million people. I, it's me in the kitchen and it's my glass of whiskey and it's these fresh ingredients and it's just like. 
I'm cool. There's no rush. You know, I don't have to do this in any, you know, time I'm on my own clock and, and there's something, there's something great about that. Yeah. Well, cool. And I think we need to take that approach and apply that to, you know, other aspects of our life. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of my, one of my favorite sayings is uh, how you do anything is how you do everything. And, you know, so that, and that has a, a positive and a negative to it. I mean, if you can learn how to approach your life where you're consistent, where you stay congruent with, with yourself and your approaches and your attitudes, and then that's cool. Unless you're an asshole and then, you know, you're an asshole all the time. <laughs> but, uh, but at least you're consistent. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it's, it's like, uh, you know, those lessons that you learn of just, you know, it, it's, it's going to be, yeah, even if it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to, like you said, you know, there's always the next time, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. It's all good, man. It's all good. It's all good. It's that's all good. that's, the, that's the, the motto I live by. Yeah. It's so, all good. So let's get back to this trumpet world for just a minute. I, I have to, I have to appease the gearheads out there. Uh, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of gear setup are you using these days? Um, I've played, I've played benches for forever, you know, since my, uh, you know, since pretty much I was in college, you know, uh, late as of late, I went from a three X LA three X plus just to a straight three X. I've lost about, I don't know, 90 pounds now. And I've, and I've decided that the plus just felt a little too big and, mm-hmm. um, and mouthpieces, I'm a Warburton guy, and uh, just playing a straight 5S with a 5 backboard, like a very middle-of-the-road kind of, yeah. Yeah. Nothing too extreme on, on any uh, any levels. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, it, it's so interesting. Uh, yeah, I've had this conversation with a few different people about about gear and you know you have the 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 small setup players and you have the, you know, the huge setup players and – I've always I've always been like a big gear guy, and then I I've started to 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 bring it in a little bit more. Um, and uh, I, I I what's your take on on that? I mean, I know personally you, you apparently do like the larger bore horns. Um, how do you balance out you know so that you're not falling into it? Uh, and, uh, yeah, what do you, what do you see as the, the pluses and minuses of, of, uh, small setups versus large setups? Um, I feel like small setups is just, you know, you're, you're limited into how much you can do on that setup, you know, small setups, I think are kind of built for, you know, certain type of playing where, you know, especially now it's, you know, you're expected to do a lot more as one single player. I mean, I e like when I was with Harry, you know, you have to play a little bit of jazz and you have to play a little bit of this. So, you know, and a little bit of lead and, you know, I think a small setup is great. Um, but you're going to, in my opinion, you're going to sacrifice sound a little bit to be able to do all the things that you want to do on that setup. And then you're going to have to manipulate a little bit probably in the, to mid to lower registers. Um, and maybe you're only playing that small setup for a specific thing. And in that case, I think it works great. You know, always, always in the mindset, the right tool for the right job. Um, I just like to be able to, to do any, I'm more, I, I could never switch. I've never been a guy who could able to switch mouthpieces, especially, you know, you know, you like the, like the loose soul offs, you know, yeah. you like 30 mouthpieces on the bandstand at once, you know, um, I think for me, it's just more of a mental thing. I just like, when I think of a switch, I'm thinking, oh gosh, where am I? 
Um, so in terms of just falling in, I just, I don't know. I think just more about the air and, you know, I always, I always want to feel like I'm pushing out more than pressing in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, but I've never been a huge gear guy and I, I've become one more now that I've lost weight and I kind of went through a phase of just trying to find something comfortable on my face again. Um, and I basically did a very long circle to end up very similar to where I was. I think if I would have just been patient, I, I could have, you know, saved myself a lot of time and a lot of money, but, uh, yeah. um, it's just the right tool for the right job. You know, I wouldn't feel comfortable playing a small setup in an orchestra and I wouldn't feel comfortable playing a large setup playing lead in a big band. So it's, you know, it's, but uh, ideally it's what you feel most comfortable. And I think it, it boils down most to how the rim feels on your face, you yeah. know, and then, and then adjusting from there and finding the balance. Yeah. Well, you know, those, those are good words of advice. Uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things where, you know, anytime you're, you're listening to someone, especially a, a younger player uh, or a less experienced player asking uh, a, a seasoned pro about gear, it's like, you know, well, what's the best horn to play, you know? And, you know, they, they don't always take in consideration you know, asking the, the more pertinent question uh, or at least prefacing it with, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. And these are the problems I'm having. So with all of that in mind, what would you suggest that, that I do, you know, and that, I mean, that's, that's coming from my analytical mind. No, but. it's a good, it's a good, I mean, you have to be analytical in all of this, you know, um, and you know, and it's, that's why we do the blind tests, you know, with our friends, like how many times have you said, okay, what sound do you like better? I'm not going to tell you which one is, or when you're working with a mouthpiece guy, he just hands you something and says, don't look at it, just play it. Cause our mind can play a lot of tricks on us. Oh, yeah. A lot of tricks on us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a that's kind of a cool approach, though, of of uh, you know this really focusing in on on the you know what is it you know what are the demands that you have and and finding that right tool for the job uh, because you I mean you do a lot of different work. I mean you have your combo like you're a small group. You do uh, big band stuff. You do pit work. Um, so you have to be able to to hit all of those. And it's a question of, do you want to, you want to carry a, a, a U-Haul truck filled with horns and mouthpieces or do you want to roll in with one bag? Yeah, exactly. You know, and what people don't really think about is like, you know, everyone has this quest for the double high C or, or those type notes. And, you know, the demand for those notes is, is so far and few between compared to everything else you're going to have to play. You know, I you know, there's not, there's not going to be 30 double high C's or double A's or whatever notes, but I bet you there'll be about 50 high C's and, and a big band gig. So like, what are you going to feel most comfortable about? Like manipulating yourself so you can play that one double high C or are you going to pick something that you feel really great and balanced on to play everything else really amazing and then work a little harder maybe for that that high you know it's yeah like i said it's a balanced thing yeah it's, it's priorities you know yeah so i in, in new york there are so many great players um you know 
Uh, you're up there, Tony Cadlick, uh, uh, Scott Engelbright, Frank Green. Uh, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, I uh, how how do you feel like we are working in, a, in an environment where there are just you know there's so many just tremendously talented guys? Uh, I I think it's you know it's it's kind of like that musical thing. You feel motivated, and you know when you see. Uh, Tony Cadillac on a gig, you know, you want to sound like a million bucks because you know you're, you know, he's going to sound like a million bucks, and it keeps you keeps you motivated. And you know, all the guys you listed couldn't be nicer guys as well. I mean, there's a real community here, and uh, you know, and that, that's a good feeling. You know, yeah. um, it's it's you know, I read an article once by Bernie Glow, and he was saying that you know, the trumpet is so hard that trumpet players can really only be friends with other trumpet players because they're the only ones who know what you're going through. Like a saxophone player can be friends with a drummer and, and you know, vice versa. Yeah. Uh, nobody, nobody can be friends with drummers. That's, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but like, but it, you know, I was thinking about, it, I was like, it's kind of true. Like, yeah. God, it's just such a, you know, it can be such a mind game sometimes. And you know, it's, it's a good feeling to know that there are other people in your community who can bring you to those next levels, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's nothing that you're going through as a player that they haven't experienced as well. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd have no problem calling Tony or, or Scott Engelbright or anybody saying, Hey man, I'm kind of, I'm kind of struggling with this right now. What do you think? You know? And uh, obviously through technology and Zoom and all the things, I mean, it's, it's a lot more accessible, but, it, you know, to have those people right in your backyard is, is a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I know that, you know, your book is, is a, a wealth of information. Do you like teach private lessons as well or is yeah, just, yeah. for sure. Love. Yeah. I love teaching because I feel like I'm always learning and I love to learn, you know, mm-hmm. there's, and I, I think most musicians are like that, you know, yeah. We have a lot of interest and a lot of just desire to like, Ooh, what, what's that? I want to check that out, you know, mm-hmm. um, with the creative brains and everything like that. Yeah. So yeah, I love teaching. Yeah. How would you classify yourself as a teacher? Yeah, what's kind of like your, your approach? Um, can you be more specific? Like, no, I, I can okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just like, uh, I'm pretty laid back. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't do the work, like, don't waste my time kind of person, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to give you as much time as you need. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't waste it. That's kind of my, my approach. And I love working. I love working out problems and, you know, figuring out, you know, oh, if you're having that issue, because it's just more knowledge in my, in my back pocket, uh, yeah. to either help someone else or if, you know, help myself. Yeah. And, uh, I'm pretty laid back as long as you show up and, and do the work. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, we're going to uh, switch gears for this final segment. This is our, our speed studies round. All right. And uh, it's going to be a rapid fire round. So um, n- questions are going to be all over the place. So be prepared. Give me your best answer. All right. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? My parents. Okay. What's your favorite book? Uh, can it be music? Hey, anything. Um, 
My favorite book. Uh, um, Chet Baker's autobiography. Yeah. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Drive. If you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Those two are mutually exclusive. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll say chef. All right. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Um, it's hard to pick one, so I'm going to give you three. A gin martini, a dirty gin martini, whiskey neat, or a white Russian. Yeah, what, uh, what kind of whiskey do you like? Uh, mostly bourbon. Give me Willet bourbon. Willet, uh, I've got a, I got a, this much left in a bottle of Willet, and I'm just holding on to it. Willet's one of my best. Barrel bourbon's great. Nectar's, uh, you know, Makers. I like Makers. Uh, Rowan's Creek. Um, I mean, I've had yeah. Pappy. Pappy's great. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely going to have to get together and have some steak and, and bourbon together. There you go. All right. You can have a dinner party. See, speaking of which, you can have a dinner party. You don't have to cook for this one either. Uh, and you can have any three living people. Who would they be? Any three living people. Um, Michael Jordan. Uh, Barack Obama. And... Uh, Will Ferrell. Okay. Will he sing Ya Ya Ding Dong? That's the question. I don't know. Have you seen the Eurovision? Uh, I have. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's that's a, a sad movie. Uh, same thing. We have a dinner party. And uh, this time your guest list are any three people from history. Who would they be? Uh, Louis Armstrong. I'm assuming these people are no longer living, right? Uh, yes, that would be correct. Uh, Louis Armstrong, Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill. Okay. Lacquer, plated, or raw? Uh, probably lacquer. Okay. What's your favorite quote? Never pass up the opportunity to say nothing at all. What is your greatest fear? Greatest fear, uh, heights, falling yeah. off a cliff. Uh, you could only have one superpower. What would it be? The ability to eat anything I want without any repercussions of like gaining weight or whatever. That would be amazing. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most overrated? Upper register playing. Says the man with the book, Builder. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you have to be able to know before you can. I always say, school's a waste of time, and I know because I did it all. <laughs> okay, what do you think is the most underrated aspect of trumpet playing? Time. Okay. Um, you have the ability to go back in time and give yourself, your younger self, one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Um start earlier on your own creative endeavors yeah. um same thing you're you're back there in time and you're going to give yourself advice but this time it's just about life in general what would it be uh it would be about investing and saving money 
how to save better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, what do you want your legacy to be? Uh, nice person, a good person. Well, we could use a lot more of those. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that uh, of, of all the things that, that we could aspire to, that's probably the best one. You know, especially as a as a musician, I'm I'm a firm believer that music is just it's a method of communication. So it's it's trying to take what's inside you, uh, inside your heart, inside your mind, and share it with other people. And uh, you know, music that comes from a place of of uh, of love and of you know positive space. The, Absolutely, that's always the most. Well, yeah, angry music touches you too, but <laughs> you know, but but there's there's just something about uh, listening to something that that soothes your soul. So yeah, I always say it's a lot easier to be nice. It takes a lot more effort to be an asshole. Yeah, that's probably a good. Uh, not for some people though. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for you, Augie, because you're just a good guy. You know, I promise. I promise. It applies to everybody. Yeah, that's yeah. I know. All right. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you taking time out of your oh, day. My pleasure. I appreciate you me. asking me. Oh man, this has been great. And uh, if anybody needs to uh, find out more about you, where should they go? Uh, my website is cool, uh, augiehaas.com or I'm the same on the Instagram, just augiehaas. Those two okay. are good. Those are two good places. Okay. And, uh, you have anything, uh, I mean, I know gigs are, are kind of, uh, slim pickings right now, but, uh, anything on the horizon for you? I do have some things on the rise. I have a new single coming out next month, which, uh, I'm excited for a totally different direction. Uh, something coming out that is not like anything I've done, which I'm very excited about. Um, I wrote. Klesmer? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, uh, I wrote and illustrated the kids book during this whole thing. Um, cool. So I'm excited for that to come out uh, and a few other little projects that uh, be on the lookout for. So yeah, I've been definitely making the most of my time in quarantine. Okay, cool. So the, you're going to be uh, posting about that on the, your Instagram and, and on your... Okay. So yeah, so make sure you're following Augie so you can uh, check out his, his new endeavors. So uh, again, thanks, Augie. Really appreciate it, man. Uh, wish you nothing but the best. And thank you for joining us today. And as always, peace and slide grease. We're out. Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound, and I'll see you at the next hang. Mm -hmm.